my nightmare. Every town has an Elm Street. Let's get home. Come to Freddy. Welcome back to the Skewered Universe podcast. My name is Jeff, and Leanne is not with me tonight. But we are continuing on with our A Nightmare on Elm Street series retrospective. And we're doing part three, but I needed someone to come on and join me. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll know this guy. He's currently one of the three hosts of the Midnight Drive-In podcast. That's right. It is Brian Wolford. Welcome to the show, Brian. How are you doing? Hey, thanks for having me. Of course, anytime, man. This is this is a first for me. I'm I'm a fan of your work, as you might know. Oh, <laughs> you know, from when you guys were recording Drunken Zombie back in the sewer days, you know, all that kind of stuff. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Before we actually had actual audio equipment. Hey, weren't we all there at one point? I, I started this recording <laughs> on pretty crappy equipment too, so we all start somewhere. I think our very first episode of Drunken Zombie was two handheld mics that were held in place by a CD tower in the middle of a coffee table just to try to pick up everybody's audio. And it's it's pretty bad. Pretty, pretty bad. You know, considering what we have now, yeah, but considering what you guys are working with at the time, I mean, eh. <laughs> hey, it, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, it could have been a lot better, but. What are you gonna do? Also true, but I mean, it was it was early days of podcasting. You were like, okay, I guess we're doing this. I know there was like five horror podcasts. <laughs> no, everybody has a horror podcast. Everybody's got one now, in, in, including me, who was just a fan listening and submitting oh. weird voicemails <laughs> to shows back in the day. That's what happened to everybody. Everybody used to listen to our show, and then they're like, "Well, if these idiots could do it," and so then everybody that listened started their own podcast. Yeah, I mean, so let's see. Uh, Scream Queens, Talk Without Rhythm, <laughs> just to mm-hmm. name a couple right off the top of my head. I mean, yep. Metal Mikey started like three different podcasts. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of them that just spun off into their own. <laughs> well, I'm glad to have you here, man. It's, it's awesome that you're here. This has been something I've been wanting to do for a while. I just never really had the, the balls to really ask you. Oh, and then geez. I just, I, I finally just put it out there and you were like, yeah, let's do it. So it's like, all you have to say is, Hey, you want to bullshit about some movies? I'd be like, sure. Why not? (laughs) Well, the door's open anytime. Oh, thank you. So let's get through this one first. You may (laughs) never want me back. We'll see. Have you ever listened to this show, Brian? Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Of course. Okay. So, so you, you know, the bar we have, so you're, you're (laughs) fine. You're fine. (laughs) I don't know. I think I'm coming in coming in uh pretty low so we'll see 
Nah. I think you've scraped the bottom of the barrel. You got the you got the old guy that's still hanging on to podcasting for some reason. <laughs> yeah, we're we're about the same age, so so <laughs> a couple of old yeah. white dudes talking horror. But I've been doing this since like 2007, so that's like a hundred years in podcasting years. Oh man. You imagine there weren't even people born in 2007 yet who might actually hear some of this. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Stop making me feel old. My my friend, uh, super ultra famous screenwriter, Sean Keller just posted a picture of his kid who was, who turned 20 either today or yesterday. Last time I saw that kid, I was in California and Mr. Sean Keller took us around town and that kid was hanging out with us and he was like five. Oh, geez. So that made me feel super extremely old. Yeah. Uh, my best friend from childhood, he and his wife and son came out to visit today because they're down from Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And his son graduated high school like two years ago, is now like 21. And I'm like, what the what the hell? You can go out to the bar with them. <laughs> I'm sure that makes you feel weird, doesn't it? Yeah, that that's I I don't want to want to drink with the kid who's practically my nephew. You know, it's, it's weird. It's like, no, I'm good. I'm good. It's just like it's such a weird feeling. You just get that feeling. You're like, oh, we're the old guys now. Mm-hmm. Oh shit. Yep, your dad's weird friends. <laughs> yeah, luckily, luckily the the. He's actually pretty cool, so he doesn't look at us like, "Oh God, you guys again!" Like he'll start talking video games and movies, and we just all kind of follow, you know, just all mm-hmm. get along. It's it's really odd, but at the same time, like, how do you know all this? Because you're only in your twenties. Yeah, it's like he'll reference stuff that people in their thirties don't know. I'm like, okay, you're one of the good ones. Thank you. <laughs> no, I had uh, I had a moment two nights ago when see my one of my younger nephews play baseball. And his older brother, who's 15, was sitting there talking about how he started watching UFC and stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, the martial arts stuff, huh? I'm like, you should watch Bloodsport. And he's like, what's Bloodsport? And I'm like, God damn it. How have your parents not raised you correctly? So I had to tell him, (laughs) and he watched a trailer, and he thought it looked stupid. And I'm like, you're you're not related to me anymore. I have no nephews. Bloodsport is... uh, Yeah. Um. I, I am at a loss for words for somebody saying Bloodsport <laughs> is stupid. Yeah. This movie <sighs> was ran on TNT and TBS way back in the day. <laughs> it was always on. There's a reason because it is great. <laughs> that's That's correct. <laughs> that is the correct answer. Not this I mean, looks stupid. Looks. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine. No. Uh, I may have talked him into watching Freaks, though. So there may be some hope. We'll see. Oh, nice. I actually just watched that, uh, I think, right during the the start of the pandemic in isolation. I, I checked out Freaks. Yeah, it's probably, it's probably not a great movie to watch in isolation. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is really good. Oh, I need contact with the outside world. <laughs> just walk around. Telling the end, like, Google gobble, Google gobble. She's like, What are you doing? She kicked you out of the house. Just about. And yeah. she didn't appreciate I was going, One of us, one of us. Yeah. Seems about right. Yeah, you know, she can only <laughs> tolerate so much. 
But we're here tonight to talk about, and I think you and I have a very similar opinion on this film. Mm-hmm. We're talking about A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 3, Dream Warriors. Street Part 3. Freddy's just around the corner. That's right. Pretty kick-ass movie. Yeah. Directed should... directed by Chuck Russell. Mm-hmm. Written, was it originally written by Wes Craven and then Frank Darabont came on to rewrite and give us the movie we now know as Dream Warriors? Uh, I don't remember the exact order, but that is, they're at least both involved. So... It was one of the reasons why it's one of the uh, the better entries into the series because you have yeah two uh, two like geniuses like Wes Craven and Frank Darabont working on it yeah and then I'm a big fan of Chuck Russell so this hits like everything yeah I I don't think I'm too familiar with much of Russell's work other than this and if I do know it it's just because I haven't looked to see what he's done uh, 1980s Blob man really yeah that was. Oh, yeah, because that was also, wasn't that also written by? Sure was. Darabont? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then he wrote, he directed The Mask with Jim Carrey, Eraser, okay. which is not really that good, but. And see, I knew The Blob was Darabont, then you had me questioning. I'm like, wait, did Darabont write or yeah, he did he direct? It. I'm like, okay, so Chuck, Ru- so I am more familiar with Chuck Russell's work. Then I knew. <laughs> yeah, and uh, The Scorpion King with The Rock. Those are like his big movies that he directed. Mm, mm. And you know we we all can't have perfect track records. <laughs> uh, and then he wrote one of my favorite movies that nobody ever seems to know about, called Dreamscape from 1984. Right, which they talk about in the documentary Never Sleep Again. Yeah, which I so, still have not seen Dreamscape. Missing out, man. Got to catch up with all this dream uh, dream movies you're watching for this uh, month. I know, I know. It's you would think I would have seen it. I mean. It's mm-hmm. dreams. It's Snake Man, which is an old reference. Yeah, Snake Man. <laughs> and I mean Dennis Quaid, the same Quaid brother. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you need to make that distinction. I think people just know <laughs> Randy pretty, Quaid's lost his mind. Yeah, I'm pretty Dennis sure Quaid's every apart. everyone knows. Yeah, Jesus. So, we have a we have a pretty decent cast here. I mean, of course, we have Heather Langenkamp returning as Nancy, mm-hmm. Craig Wasson as Doctor Neil Gordon, Patricia Arquette in her first role as Kristen, Ken, I believe it's Sagos as Kincaid, 
Rodney Eastman is Joey. Uh, Jennifer Rubin is Taryn. Penelope Sudro is Jennifer. And of course, Lawrence Fishburne as Max, but credited as no, Larry. No, 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Larry this Fishburne. Is, this is Larry Fishburne. This was he made Larry. A couple, he made a couple <laughs> movies under the name Larry Fishburne. This is before he was distinguished and became Lawrence. Became Lawrence. I'm a, I'm a classically uh, trained stage actor. I go by Lawrence now. Like, you were Cowboy Curtis. <laughs> and... Sure was. <laughs> hey, you peewee! <laughs> the first time I put that together as an adult, I was like, holy shit. Because <laughs> for the longest time, I had no idea. Then you go back and see it, and you're like, hmm? yeah, okay. Oh, you yeah. actually were. Lawrence Fishburne, and then Phil Hartman was uh, Captain Carl? Yes. Yes, I was oh thinking God. postman something, but I'm like, no. No, no, no. He was he was the fisherman, whatever that was. Yeah, Captain Carl. Yeah. Yeah, this show was great. Uh, I love Pee-wee's Playhouse. And of course, we can't forget our favorite man of our nightmares, Robert England, as Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. Which, as you guys mentioned on last episode, almost didn't make it through the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Yeah, so... <laughs> I, I, for the life of me, every time I hear that story, I'm like, yeah. how much crack was Bob Shea smoking <laughs> to think this wasn't, you know, this wasn't Jason. This wasn't Michael Myers. This was a slasher with a personality. Yeah. Which there's still a shot of the alternate Freddy in the movie. It's the one going <sighs> through the, the steam in the shower. Yeah. And that's yeah. why it looks terrible. So when you see that, you're like, oh, this horrible, stiff stunt double just. Uh, like, what? yeah i don't know what they were thinking they obviously made the correct choice to back go back on that decision yeah i mean they kind of had to after they all saw it and went see how terrible it is Bob? <laughs> everyone here is in tears at how bad that performance was mm. can you give us who we want now yeah terrible but yeah this movie so we have Oh, I, I, have a, I, have, I have a Robert, I have a Robert England story that I didn't hear you talk about in the last one. Go right ahead. And I've heard Robert England tell it at conventions before, and it's fucking hilarious. Uh, so apparently he used to be roommates with Mark Hamill. Really? And yeah. And he's like, yeah, we were sitting around smoking weed one day. And I was like, hey, man, I heard there was like this audition for this. I don't know, like space movie or something. You should go down and audition. And so he finally talked him into it. So Mark Hamill went down and auditioned for Luke Skywalker. <laughs> so robert england changed changed the course of history all because he was roommates with mark hamill i have never heard that story before yeah it's great yeah he was telling at a convention i was <laughs> i was at that he was at and i was just dying laughing wow <laughs> see if if robert england hadn't convinced mark hamill to go audition star wars would be completely different right <laughs> you wouldn't have that whiny uh uh tone in the first movie <laughs> oh, I was going to go to Tachi stations to buy power converters. <laughs> oh man. I, I don't even imagine who else could have had that part now. No, I have no idea. I know I William know. William Cat tried out for it. He didn't get it. You mean the greatest American hero could have also been Luke Skywalker? Yeah. yeah. Uh so the story was that George Lucas and um Brian De Palma were co-hosting auditions for Carrie and A New Hope, respectively. So uh-huh. they're like, oh, rather than doing separate, let's just do auditions together. And then so everybody who auditioned for one movie would then go over and audition for the other movie. 
Wow. So there's footage somewhere of like the the cast of Carrie auditioning for parts in Star Wars and vice versa. That, and that then, just and then apparently Kurt Russell auditioned for Han Solo, which is an interesting thing to think about. Wow. And and now my brain is trying to imagine Kurt Russell as Han Solo and Yeah. For some reason my brain's going, yeah, that would would have totally worked too. <laughs> yeah. But it's good things that went the way they were. I mean, because of Star Wars, we got Indiana Jones and it all worked yeah. out in the end. And who knows, we may not have got the RJ McCready in the thing. See, there you go. Had Kurt Russell been in Star Wars. Maybe that would have been Harrison Ford. Maybe Harrison Ford would be like, I'm not shooting in snow again. I quit. <laughs> we quit acting. See, the world would have been turned upside down. Harrison Ford in Big Trouble in Little China is Jack Burton. Oh, yeah, no. Just angry all the time. <laughs> just, just some angry old man. No joy in that character whatsoever. Oh, I, d- I don't want to live in that world. No, 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 no. I'm happy where things are at. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Nightmare on Elm Street 3. That's so what we're supposed to, to talk about, right? <laughs> exactly. But we, we derail here a lot. So, you oh, know, pff, I'm the king of sidetracks. So don't worry about it. <laughs> so quick premise, because I'm sure there's a lot of people who have seen this. If you haven't, I highly recommend you go see it first, then come back. Mm-hmm. We have Kristen Parker, who, after supposedly trying to commit suicide, is admitted to the psychiatric hospital, Weston Hills. The Which first appearance. I, can I comment that that opening scene for Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is amazing? Her falling oh. asleep and then waking up in the dream world in front of the dilapidated remains of Nancy's old house. Oh, it's it's just awesome. Yeah. When you see that happen. Mm-hmm. And then the she- sort Sort of the reintroduction of Freddy is is she's like running through the house trying to escape him, and you basically just see a shadow on the wall for for most of it. It's it's yeah. so good, like you said, it is a reintroduction. It's like, hey, you know, part two kind of broke the rules. We're kind of bringing you back into what the rules are. Here's where Freddy's at. Yeah, this house is sort of like his home base in a sense. This is where you're gonna be. This is where he's gonna terrify you. Yeah, which is, it's weirdly interesting because the house never really had anything to do with it. For yeah. Some reason, it was... For some reason, the second one, they're like, oh, well, if he sleeps in the same house, he'll be haunted by Freddy. And I'm like, that doesn't make any damn sense. But yeah. And oh, here's Nancy's diary. Like, why would she leave that behind? That's a personal thing. Right. So I don't know. Like, it's a weird thing that they carried over from the second one that the house was important. But for some reason, this movie made it work. And it kept going throughout the rest of the series, which I don't know. Good for, for better for better or worse. Yeah, sure. So right. continue continue <laughs> your description. Sorry. I sidetracked us again. No, it's fine. Kristen is admitted to Weston Hills, where she meets a group of teenagers who were there for all sorts of different reasons, rehabilitation from drugs instead of going to juvie, anger management, all sorts of things. And this is where we get the reintroduction of Nancy to the series, who is now, I believe, an intern. She's some a uh, sort of a, yeah. an intern, I believe. What's the what's the nurse call her? Some hot shot from grad school or something? Yeah, hot shot intern <laughs> from grad school, something like that. Yeah. 
so she's brought in to try and help them as they're these kids are suffering from what is deemed some like mass psychosis dream which is stemmed from their guilty feelings and sexual inadequacies you know just <laughs> wrong diagnosis across the board <laughs> at some point doesn't somebody say i'm a chronic masturbator or something <laughs> I, I think somebody was admitted before i think the head nurse said something about that i'm not sure no. that had that other doctor or something said something like yeah, that yeah. yeah i know uh kincaid has <laughs> has one of the better lines when she mentions the sexual thing he goes oh great now my dick's killing me <laughs> yep exactly i love him which i have a story about him too i'll wait till you get the done with the description though otherwise we'll be here for like five hours <laughs> So as it turns out, it's not really some sort of psychosis. It's Freddy. He's back, gaining power. Kristen is able to use her dream ability of pulling people into her dreams to sort of bring all the kids together to form the dream warriors to fight Freddy. And craziness ensues. And we have a very... I would say it's almost like an old-school Hammer horror film ending the way this goes out. But we'll get there just the way it is with the the Christian themes and yeah, gotcha. You know, but that that's sort of the basic synopsis. Just kind of the you know boil it down to a very basic scenario here. So, yeah. what, what was the story you had? I want to hear so, this because this is interesting. So, at the same convention, they were having a big Nightmare on Elm Street reunion. So they brought in as many cast members from across all the movies that they could. Oh, nice. This is back in like 2006, 2007, somewhere in there. So Ken, uh, uh, Kincaid, I, I don't know how to say his last name, so I'm just going to call him Kincaid. He was up, uh, he was doing a panel and he was talking about it. And he was talking about how, like, you know, he had auditioned and then he got the movie, but he was really worried because he comes from a very religious family and stuff and he's like well i was really worried about doing it because there's lots of cursing and stuff and i didn't know how people in my church would feel about it and he's like but you know i talked to my grandma about it and i was and she's like oh i heard you got a part and he's like yeah but i don't know if i'm gonna do it and she's like well why not and he's like well there's lots of cursing and stuff it's just i don't know and she's like well does it pay and he's like yeah and she's like and he's like but i'm really worried like people at the church are gonna be like upset or whatever she's like but it pays and he's like yeah and she's like well then fuck him <laughs> everybody in the audience just started roaring when you told that oh uh, that it that's the perfect that's the perfect hey if it's paid fuck him yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> i will say in from this point on kincaid is one of my favorite characters in the series I know. I feel like he got done dirty in the part four. But yeah, you're not, you're not there yet. So no, we're not there. But <laughs> if anyone's watching, yeah, mm, mm. yeah, no, no. Uh, so what's one of the things you love about this movie? Because you mentioned that you think this is probably your favorite nightmare, right? And I would say this and part one kind of go back and forth for me, depending on the day. Yeah, one one is always like right up there with this, but I think one of the one of my favorite just overall things is the transitions from reality to the dream world. Like you're never really sure until like a one certain thing comes up. Mm -hmm. And the dream sequences are just 
so cool the way Freddy's moving around. Like you said, the opening where it drops Kristen right in front of the house. Yeah. And it's immediately like, oh, we're there. Mm-hmm. When all the kids in their, you know, straight talk in here, straight talk only, their little therapy session. <laughs> Once that happens and they see like the little Newton's cradle kind of break apart and the balls floating around, mm-hmm. you immediately know it's not like you have to go out and see some weird thing. It's just little things like that where they're like, okay, dream world. Now we can go crazy. Yeah. Th- this one does do a really good job with uh, the fake outs, which I don't even want to call them fake outs because I feel like some of the other movies in the series do that thing where they like wake up and then, Oh no, actually you're still asleep. And those are kind of annoying, but I feel like they're done really well in this movie. Uh, specifically like, uh, Kristen, uh, sort of wakes up in her bedroom. Mm-hmm. She's, she's building the popsicle house and her mom comes in and she's like, what are you still doing up? And I mean, for the most part, the scene plays out much similar to the one that we had had earlier. Exactly. But then all of a sudden, Freddie shows up out of nowhere and just like <laughs> violently, you know, decapitates her mom. And then like all this crazy shit's going on or the girl in the common room who's watching TV, trying to stay <laughs> awake. She just does one little nod with her head and then she's like, oh, no, I'm awake. I'm awake. And everything seems fine. But then all of a sudden, Freddie shows up on the TV and then everything mm-hmm. goes into overdrive. Those fucking arms shoot out of the side of the TV, which the effects in this movie are fucking amazing. Uh, I the effects are so great. Every time I see it, it's like I I can't really see the seams on a lot of things on how they're done. Mm-hmm. And that's always a sign where you know the effects were done really well. Like certain movies, you might be able to see, oh, you can kind of see where they did this, did that. I still to this day with this movie can't really tell. I mean you can tell when Freddy's head pops out of the TV that it's like a fake head and they're sucking in yeah. uh, rubber or whatever around it. But yeah, but it still looks like Robert England as Freddy. So it's not like some really bad dummy. Yeah. And the editing really helps for this movie real helps hide some of that stuff. This mm-hmm. is really good. Cause I mean, yeah, if you're really paying attention, you're like, okay, well that's a fake head. And then like two quick cuts and it's like, Oh no, now it's, now it's Robert England with with a TV box over top of his body. Yeah, but it's it's so quick when you see the head start to come up. And because I think I'm more forgiving of these movies and their effects that look a little off sometimes because it is a dream. So maybe it wouldn't look, you know, maybe it would be a little yeah, yeah, yeah. weird at first. So mm-hmm. that's that's just me. Plus, I like I said, I really enjoy this movie. So. I'm not going to shit on pretty much anything about it. Yeah. Uh, the uh, puppet sequence, I think, is amazing. Oh, that uh, sequence used to scare me a lot as a kid. Yeah. Seeing the puppet come to life and the claws grow out of its hand. Yeah. And the fucking pulling the arteries out of his arms and legs yeah. and shit. Like, yeah, that, that shit creeped me the fuck out. Because I actually, I, this is the very first Nightmare on Elm Street movie I ever saw same and i was eight years old and i was at a babysitter's house because in the 80s people didn't give a shit about nothing right they, they're just watching it and i and they're like oh how old are you i'm like eight and like oh yeah you can watch this and i'm like can i can i really so i mean of course i really watched it and then 
it was hell for my mom when I got home because I couldn't sleep for like a week. I was freaked the fuck out. So, and then of course, Nightmare on Elm Street became my horror, favorite horror franchise because that's how shit works in the real world. Exactly. Yeah. This same for me. This was the first nightmare movie I saw. And it was always on local TV, but they would always show that scene. Like it's on at like three o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. <laughs> and I'm just sitting here watching it, you know, probably around the same age as you, like eight or nine, probably shouldn't be watching it. Cause yeah. just a couple years before I was afraid of gremlins. I hit around the side of a TV <laughs> when the gremlins went from cute little mogwai to slimy little green guys. I was like, mm. Nope, I'm out. Yeah, that would never bother me. And I do have a distinct memory of watching Friday the 13th Part 4 before I left to go to my afternoon kindergarten class. So to say that my parents were responsible would not be true. <laughs> and now they probably regret it. So, you know, say, say, I. You know, pretty much anything that was on the TV in my bedroom, my parents were like, I just watch TV. He's fine. He's not out getting in trouble right now. So if it's like a rainy day, they're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but watching this and then Friday the 13th movies, whatever they were playing. Mm-hmm. And of course, in the 80s, when these were on TV, they weren't as cut down as they are now. Yeah. So every time I would see that puppeteering scene of Philip, Philip, I can't even speak, Philip getting <laughs> puppeted to the to the ledge. I was always like, oh, oh no, that's that's gross. I don't, but I but I kept watching, and then I'd have nightmares, of course. And yeah. You know, and then yeah. I kept chasing that feeling. Of course. Like, Why, now that I'm not scared, I really enjoyed being scared. What else exactly. can make you scared? And now at 43, I'm like, I really gotta work to find something to scare me. <laughs> Don't know what that says about me, but I think that's a thing with yeah. a lot of horror fans. Yeah, you're fine. I'm sure there's no psychological damage whatsoever. <laughs> nah, none whatsoever. <laughs> they just sit up at night rocking back and forth. <laughs> Freddy's not coming. Freddy's not coming. <laughs> so I want to ask you what what um, we know about your first experience with this, but was there anything else that stuck out to you? Like, did you see any of the stuff like in the, the video stores growing up about this, that kind of intrigued you? Or was there anything that stuck out to you from that first viewing or was it just overall aside from the puppeteering thing? Uh, I mean, it was all creepy. Like when we get towards, uh, Oh, the, <laughs> The uh, the fucking uh, nurse that uh, shows up, oh. and, and Joey has a big thing for her, and you know I'm eight, so I mean you know outside I'm saying girls are gross, but then inside I'm like this lady's hot. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then of course she takes her clothes off, and, and my brain is exploding. Um, but then uh, they start making out, and you know. The weird thing happens where their tongues like meld together and then she shoots them out yeah. to like tie them up. So when I was eight years old and saw that, I decided, well, I'm I'm never French kissing anybody ever. So yeah. that was that was a point of trauma for me <laughs> in my teenage years. Yeah, I can see that because you're like, no, I, I saw what happened when you do that. <laughs> I'm not getting 
tied down to some bed. Yeah. The fucked up thing is there's uh, pictures because there's supposed to be a scene, like a transition scene where the nurse pretty much had Freddie's head, but then still had the nurse's body. So (laughs) there's a scene with yeah Robert England's head and then a nice, like, you know, naked woman. I think that lady was like a Playboy playmate. So if nobody's seen the movie, that'll tell you kind of what her body looked like. And uh, it's just this weird, like I've seen pictures of it. I'm like, that's weird. I don't, I can't, I can't look at this. It's, it's really freaking me out. Yeah. I was rewatching never sleep again, the section specifically for this film. And they were showing those images of her. Okay. That's where I saw Freddie head. Yeah. And I was like, no, that they were like, yeah, people were, people were too disturbed by that. I'm like, rightfully so. <laughs> I don't want to see Robert England with the rack as Freddie. It's just not. No. Yeah. It does something in my brain that I don't like. It's, <laughs> it's like one part of my brain is like, well, Hey, there's boobs. And the other part is like, no, no, <laughs> you don't want those. Yeah. Yeah. But I think like the production design, the set design and everything in this movie is probably the best of the series. Like the first one, obviously they were on a limited budget and it was supposed right. to just be like, no, this is like your house. What if Freddie showed up at your house? What would you do? But this one, like they kind of threw some more money at it. So like the dream world is a lot more interesting. Uh, Freddie's house is, you know, well, Nancy slash Freddie's house is interesting with the decayed version. And then when yeah. we get into Freddie's boiler room at the end, like I feel like that whole set is just amazing to look at. And it's just the way it's lit, all the red lighting and the steam. And it's just, yeah. again, it, it kind of harkens back to the first one where everything just feels kind of claustrophobic and hot and gross. Mm-hmm. And specifically the scene where, you know, they come down the spiral staircase mm-hmm. or slide down or whatever. Um, and it's the scene where it's the part where Freddie is sort of like come comes out from behind something and he's dragging like this big like doll in his arms in his hand. It's like upside down. He's holding it by the leg, and it's like this really like raggedy looking just doll. Like mm-hmm. there's no clothes on it. Like there might be an arm missing. Looks like something that's been like run over like five times. But for me, that's just like the ultimate image of Freddy. Just this weird, like, I'm dragging this child's doll behind me. I'm snickering at these teenagers that just showed up in my boiler room and stuff. And I'm just like, that is everything I think of Freddy, like, is personified, like, in that one image. Mm-hmm. And I just absolutely love it. Yeah. It's really iconic because, like you said, that is just everything about him wrapped up into that one image right there. That one yeah. scene just. Yeah, it's great. And I did forget to mention we had two returns in this film, not only of oh, Henry yeah. Camp as Nancy Thompson, mm-hmm. but John Saxon. And I'm going to go to hell for forgetting John Saxon <laughs> returning as her father, Don Thompson, who is no longer a cop but a drunken security guard. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's great. I met him at a convention at the convention too. He's one of the nicest people ever. 
Uh, and I'm, I'm so sad that I never got to meet him before he passed because I would have just loved to pick his brain a little bit. Yeah, he was at two of the conventions I went to. He was always super nice. His wife was like his handler, and she was like one of the nicest people in the world. And uh, oh, wow. Wes from Drunken Zombie got a uh, Enter the Dragon poster signed by him. Oh, man. Yeah, it was pretty great. That's so cool. Now, did you have him sign? Because I know you have a... Uh a poster that you've been getting signed. Uh, I do. Members. I have, I had him sign the original nightmare on Elm street poster, which I have hanging nice. up in the hallway. Nice. Uh, and then the second time I met him, I had him sign. What is my favorite Dario Argento movie, which is Tenebrae. And he was in that. Oh, that's right. He was in Tenebrae. I haven't seen Tenebrae, but I know he was in it. Yeah. Yeah. You should watch it. It's great. Uh, so yeah, I had him sign a couple things and, the only th- two signatures I'm really missing on the Nightmare on Elm Street poster is Johnny Depp, mm-hmm. of course, because it's not like I've just run into him somewhere. Right. And uh, Wes Craven, unfortunately. Uh-huh. That that one hurts a lot. Yep. That hurts me just because. Uh... Yeah, I was really bummed out the day he passed away. Yeah, when I found out, I remember posting it and people were like, wait a minute, what? who yeah, what yeah. no really i'm like yeah brain cancer and nobody knew <laughs> like we were yeah like nobody knew until now what he was dealing with it's like fuck yeah yeah that that was that was a tough <laughs> one when he went i was like oh that sucks yeah so my poster will always be incomplete unfortunately yeah, but I mean, you have so many others on there. I mean, un- like you said, oh, unfortunately, yeah. it'll be complete, but you still got all those others, which is still great. Oh, yeah. I got Amanda Weiss, uh, played Tina. I got the guy that played Rod, um, Nancy, of course. I got Robert England to sign it, John Saxon. Uh, the mom signed it. Even Charles Fleischer, the voice of Roger Rabbit, he was at that convention. <laughs> he signed it. And then if you look at my poster, like he signed it and then drew a bunch of weird like symbols up one of the blades of freddy's like uh glove that he has over nancy's face and he's like yeah i just drew some real cryptic shit and i was like <laughs> all right <laughs> like I, I don't know how i'm supposed to answer this question. like okay thanks roger <laughs> Thank rabbit <you>. like <laughs> yeah, i remember the image you posted not long ago of that going up so i zoomed in and was trying to figure out and i saw it i'm like i think those are the weird marks he's always mentioned yeah such a strange <laughs> man but it was a lot of fun yeah no wonder they had him play the sleep doctor in the first <laughs> yeah i need to find lynn shay i don't have lynn shay didn't sign it oh she'd probably sign it in a heartbeat oh too. she totally would i've just She's- never had a chance to meet her she seems like she'd be really cool to meet. Yeah. I just want to hang out with her. <laughs> it's like, can we just sit down and have coffee and talk? Lynn Shay? Right? Can we be best friends? Will you please be my best friend. Will you be my grandma, please? <laughs> like, um, not to sidetrack here, but I don't know if you've seen the uh, no, documentary. We're not sidetracking already. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've seen the documentary. It's called uh, Living with Chucky, I believe. Uh, I haven't yet. I know it just came out recently and I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it yet. Highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun, but Lynn Shea is in it. Oh, really? 
and she was she was talking about horror fans. She goes, "They're the best fans. They are nonviolent. They are just mm-hmm. so wholesome and nice." I'm like, thank yeah. you. Oh yeah, I used to go to uh, Horror Hound uh, uh, every yes. year, and uh, it was always in the same hotel. And like we would go, and there's a restaurant in the hotel, so we would go in and eat and stuff and uh we would talk to the waitresses just be like hey you know how's it going pretty busy this weekend huh and they would always tell us like we love it when the horror conventions here because they're all, all the people who go to the horror conventions are always so nice and so like clean like they don't make a giant mess and stuff and and i'm like oh really is is there some other <laughs> one she's like oh my gosh like all these others are supposed to be like you know nice like formal people they just leave a mess and they treat everybody like garbage and i was like oh yeah it's because horror fans are awesome yeah we appreciate the fact that you're actually working and we don't want to make any any problems for you exactly because we know everybody's like oh they're horror fans it's like yeah we are but you know we're actually better than you <laughs> <laughs> not, yeah, not, not to <laughs> go ahead i'm sorry well i was gonna say not to uh talk bad about uh people in the military which i'm not but sometimes there was always weird like combos so it would be like or hound and then some other weird convention there was like some children's karate convention one time and it was just like what? okay strange there was a mary Kay convention and that ended up being great because then all the makeup ladies were selling makeup to all the goth girls that were at the horror convention. So like everybody was winning in that one. Yeah. Uh, but there was some like retired military something or another. Oh no. Going on. And so it's just a bunch of old dudes who are grumpy about everything. And, I, I think I heard stories about this one. Yeah. And so there's just a bunch of people waiting in line to get into the convention because some of those conventions would get so full that the fire marshal would tell them you can't let people in until like some people leave. So sometimes you'd have to stand in line and wait for enough people to leave before you were able to get into the actual convention hall. And uh, so they're all standing in line. I don't know. Everybody's in line. Every, so I'm sure some people had some drinks and uh, everybody's just having fun. And apparently one of the convention halls next door was one of these retired military things, whatever. And this old guy got super mad because everybody was being loud. So he came out and started yelling at him. And he's like, you Halloween people need to be quiet. We're trying to blah, 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 blah. And so everybody just started laughing at him. And he just turned around and walked back in. But Uh, it was after that, that everybody at the convention heard about it. And everybody started calling themselves Halloween people. So they unintentionally coined a term that became popular with the convention crowd at that point. Right. I I did hear I heard this on a couple of podcasts back then. I think uh yeah. Night of the Living Podcast and Bloody Good Horror both For talked sure. about this and mentioned Halloween. I think you guys also mentioned it too, yeah. that yeah. everyone was just like, Oh, we're Halloween people now. That's fine. Yep, yep, we're Halloween like, people. You thought you thank were you. insulting us, but thank you for the term. Thank you for your service, sir. Naming us. We appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't go into any, but I heard some some of the things that were going on with People taking drinks from certain areas, and it's just like, yeah. wow. Yeah. It's like, I hate living in California right now because I'm missing out on fun shit. Yeah, conventions back then used to be a lot of fun. Uh, 
They're not so much anymore. They, they, they've almost gotten too big. So then it's not good. It's good for it's the people it, who run the conventions, but right. You know, people who just want to attend and hang out with people kind of became a mess. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Cause I used to list, I would listen back to like when you guys and other shows would like do the audio from the weekends and stuff. And <laughs> it seemed like it was more intimate and now it's just so huge that you don't have that same feel. It's feeling like every yeah. other convention, but yeah, unfortunately it was the walking dead that did it because then all yeah. these, like all these normal people who don't really watch horror, but we're watching the walking dead would come to see Norman Reedus and yeah. whoever else. Oh, so all the soccer moms. Yep. So then it would just get overcrowded and, You'd have to like move people around, and then of course, uh, and I don't blame him for this, but if Norman Reedus can charge a hundred dollars for his autograph, that means everybody else in the convention is going to start upping their prices too. Yeah, but you know, it used to be, oh, I'll sign something for you know 15 20 bucks. Yeah, let's take a picture together, it's great, but now like everything's like, oh, yeah, minimum. $40 for an autograph. If you want a picture, it's going to be like 55 and you know, whatever it's just became like a giant mess essentially. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. <clears throat> but coming, coming back to nightmare three, mm-hmm. we, we've talked about a lot of the visuals. Is there anything that really stands out to you? Like, any particular effect i mean aside from the jennifer kill like for me there's one that always says i i kind of like the let's get high where yeah, that one's really turned into needles and you see the little suckers in the arms from the track marks mm-hmm. it's just always like i was always like Ugh, i just don't yeah. like it it's just so dirty <laughs> and gr- it's it's so gross but it it kind of fits with freddie because it's like yeah yeah, he's pretty dirty and gross. Uh, one of them I really like is a simple one, which is towards the end when they stab him with like a metal spear of some sort, and then ah, on yes. on camera you see him grab it and then pull it out of his stomach or whatever, and that's all like it's a nice like wider like a sort of a wide medium shot, and they do it in camera, which was fascinating. I'm still not sure how they did it. Uh, and then, uh, his chest of souls. This is the first one where his chest of souls shows up. Yes. That's, Um, I I always love that reveal. That one's really good. Um, like the one in four is like, okay, but the one in three, I think is, is done super well. Yeah. The one in four, it's like you said, it's okay. But this one being the first, it really, the way it was lit, the way they showed it. And I hit it from being like hokey because mm-hmm. some of the stuff, I think when you get to four and five, sometimes some of the stuff was lit too much. Yeah. So you see a little bit more of like, well, oh yeah, we didn't have quite the budget to work with that. We should have, mm-hmm. we may have gotten a little too, uh, a little too adventurous with our effect here. Uh, oh, and then I guess the big one, Freddy snake. Oh, Freddy the, Freddy, the Freddy snake is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I just love that one. story of when they went to see it <laughs> and the effects guys are like, here it is. And Chuck Russell, I think, was the one who said, 
wait, why does it look like a penis? Mm-hmm. He goes, it's what we talked about. He goes, I can't have a giant dick on the screen. <laughs> so they had to do tons of stuff to make it green and look different. And it, it still looks very phallic. Yeah. Like repaint it, slime it up. And then, uh, yeah, of course, then, as you know, they tried to tried to do the scene where they eat uh, Kristen's legs or whatever in the mouth. It just folds in on itself. And it's like, God damn it. So they had to shoot in reverse. But turns out that scene looks amazing in reverse. So it's if I didn't know what I knew, I wouldn't I'd be like, how did they do it? Yeah, because it doesn't really look like it's just a reverse shot. Mm hmm. But I also like the the puppeteering of the Freddy head when he notices Nancy. And he says, you. And it's just oh, like, yeah. it's angry and snarling. It's like, oh. Yeah, just that recognition. Like that. It's like, oh, yeah. fuck. Yeah. Like, so it, it had that feel of him actually, like, if it was Robert England standing there giving that look, it had that same kind of energy. Mm-hmm. It just came off that one, like, second where it's like, oh, shit. Freddie's Freddie's scared of something. Like, yeah. Of course he's gonna go full bore into trying to kill her, but there's a split second where he's just like, oh shit. And then, you know, and then yeah, I'll try to kill these women or whatever. But yeah. Um, speaking of the snake scene, I had heard this and I don't know if it's true. And since you haven't seen uh, uh Dreamscape, um it won't mean as much to you, I guess, but so Chuck Russell wrote Dreamscape, mm-hmm. and then the rumor is he had ideas for a sequel if they ever made it, like some stuff he could throw in. And since in Dreamscape, uh, Snake Man's a big character, which for those that haven't seen it, uh, Dennis Quaid can like go into other people's dreams, and they need him. They need him to like uh, go and stop somebody from assassinating the vice president. So essentially it's like good dream walkers versus bad dream walkers. Um, but when he's testing it out, he goes into this kid's dream. This kid's afraid of this snake man that's in there. And when he encounters it, he kind of gets freaked out by it. And so then later when uh, he's having the big confrontation with the big bad guy, the big <clears throat> bad guy takes on the, the form of snake man since he knows it kind of freaked him out. <clears throat> so snakes and stuff play a very big theme throughout dreamscape. Okay. So the rumors were he had ideas for a sequel if they ever made one. They never did. And then he came over to this movie. And then the rumors are that he incorporated some of his ideas for that sequel into this movie. And if you think about all of the snake imagery in this movie, that makes a lot of sense. You get the the Freddy snake, of course. Um, theoretically the scene where Joey gets tied up with tongues, like you could replace that with snakes and it would perfectly fit with whatever. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. And it seems like there was something else that I don't remember exactly what it was, but yeah, there's just like stuff that you can see that would fit perfectly in dreamscape that you're like, Oh, he took that and put it in this and that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, now I have to watch Dreamscape so I can see exactly where it all lines up because it's sounding like you can just see it exactly. So now I have to yeah. watch Dreamscape for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of snake stuff in Dreamscape. So 
give it a watch. It's fun. It's a little slower than the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but still good. I'm not opposed to watching a slow movie as long as it gives me what I want in the end. Plus, George Wentz on it. So, I mean. Norm. Of course. Which is also the big reason why I love House. Exactly. So, if you like Cheers and George Wentz, Dreamscape's a must-watch for you. I, I do enjoy Cheers. Did a rewatch of the series. I did actually not a rewatch, but a first watch all the way through of the entire series a couple of years yeah. ago. All 11 seasons? Yeah. All yeah. 11 seasons. It was a good show. It really was. It was weird. It was weird going from Coach to Woody. But you kind of you kind of work through it. You you get a, you learn how to cope. Poor coach. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> See, it all it all comes back to Cheers in some way. Some way, shape, or form. And that's why you got to watch House and then House Two and. And see, House William Cat goes back to Carrie and the audition for Star Wars. See, there's a whole there's a whole thing going on here, and it all all leads back back to Robert (laughs) Englund. And it's all just in some autistic child's head. (laughs) Ah, the old Tommy Westfall theory. (laughs) Every TV show is just taking place inside of an autistic kid's head. I mean, hell, it's why Richard Belzer was one character on how many different law shows? Yeah. Not even just law shows. He showed up as that character on Arrested Development before. That's right. I, f- I remember when I was looking after he passed away, I saw that and I went, oh, that's right. It was the same. He was Munch <laughs> on Arrested Development. Yeah. Like, how does that even work? Yeah, he's partially responsible for, for spreading all this entire theory out. Yeah. And we will never know the truth because he took it with him. Forever and ever. Oh man. Um oh, we should talk about their powers. We haven't talked about their powers, I guess. Yeah. So <laughs> so let's let's start off with Kristen. Mm-hmm. So we know she already has the power to pull people into her dreams. Yeah. And then apparently she's also a really good gymnast. Yeah. Pretty hey, that's, that's, she, she like uh does backflips, can run up walls and shit. Yeah, I was like, okay. Helps you to helps her to evade Freddy. Yeah, yeah, there's some good fight choreography between two, the two of them. Kincaid is really strong. Yeah. <laughs> like bending chairs, breaking through walls strong. Yeah, he loses it. He doesn't have his dream power in part four, which is a disappointment. This is like, how? He should have been throwing cars. Right? From the junkyard. I mean, not to get into part four, but... Mm. <laughs> yeah, they... Poor Kincaid. Done dirty. So then we have Taryn, who is beautiful and bad. She's mm-hmm. the drug addict, so she becomes a punk. And yeah. a really good fighter with knives, with switchblades. Mm-hmm. She, of course, has to have a knife fight with Freddy at some point. Of course, which we all knew it's like, probably not winning that fight. No. She does stab him in the armpit, though, which is always cringy to me. Yeah, I mm, I don't like that because I know there's an artery in there somewhere. <laughs> 
So I was reading something and they're like, yeah, if you get stabbed in the armpit just the right way, it could sever something and you could bleed out. I'm like, oh, that's uncomfortable to know. <laughs> Plus, it just seems really painful. <laughs> yeah. 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 We also have Will, who is the wheelchair bound teenager who has the powers of D&D. He is the wizard master. <laughs> he is the nerdiest of the nerds. And, and a part of me is like, I think a lot of us relate to you more than we know, sir. <laughs> yeah. At the uh, convention I was at, he did the whole, uh, uh, I am the wizard master. I am the wizard master. I am the wizard master. Like thing on the stage. It was pretty great. Oh man. That, w- that would have been cool to see in person. <laughs> Yeah, I get to meet all of the Dream Warriors except for Taryn. She wasn't there. Oh. But Joey was there. Uh well, I guess Kristen, I didn't I didn't get to meet Patricia Arcade either. But <clears throat> Kincaid was there, Joey was there, Will was there. Oh, I guess that's it. Nice. They're the only, they're the only real Dream Warriors. Yeah. I don't, I don't consider like Philip wasn't really a Dream Warrior. They didn't really get into no. that well after he died and Jennifer. I mean, was his power getting walked off the ledge? <laughs> Pretty much. And hers was looking like she jumped head first into a TV right? eight feet off the ground. <laughs> we read this once and my dad's like, what do they think she did? Like run across the room and dive head first <laughs> into the TV. Apparently they're like, yeah, you see it all Suicide. the time in these kids. Suicide, so sad. Kids jumping up into their TVs. <laughs> I mean, there's no logical way this could happen. They're just like, oh, suicide. Total suicide. It's obvious. Oh, man. And now, correct me if I'm missing one, but I leave to round out the Dream Warriors. We have Joey, mm-hmm. whose dream power is finally finding his voice. <laughs> yeah. Really, if you scream loud enough, that's good enough. Yeah. Because he's mute the entire film until one scene where he just yells no. Shatters all the mirrors and... Freezes friends. <laughs> it's kind of a lame superpower. I'm going to be honest, Joey. Yeah. It kind of it kind of goes back to the uh, the whole like power of love thing, that, that one over part two. Yeah. It's like the love for my friends will beat Freddy. Well, not yeah. really, but sure. I mean, they only made like seven more movies after this, but sure. <laughs> this is the thing. I I love how every movie is like, okay, we vanquished him, and then there's a little tease at the end, like, no, we still got enough left. He's gonna come back. Just in case this movie made enough money. Yeah. Wanna leave that door open. As opposed to Wes Craven was in that first one to having a sequel, Bob Shay's like, no, no, no. We got to make sure just in case. You don't understand. I want children wearing Halloween costumes <laughs> of a child killer slash pedophile. We need Pez dispensers so the kids can eat candy out of Freddy. Yeah. Talking he's, dolls. He's going to introduce music videos on MTV one day. <laughs> going to make all this happen, Wes. Which... That's that's the weird thing that happened is this was such a dark character, child killer, you know, 
pedophile the tendencies were there like let's put him on cereal boxes and he's gonna be on kids pjs there's a talking doll he's on mtv it's like wait a minute this is someone you would want to keep away from your kids (laughs) and yet you're forcing it into pop culture like yeah freddie's so cool i don't know i I think freddie's cool but that (laughs) just (laughs) this actually sound real bad you know what i'm trying to say totally it's a cool character it's it is is a weird character for everybody including children to start celebrating yeah considering what he stand what he did and what he was supposed to have done the marketing behind it was very weird Mm -hmm. just all i remember seeing some of those toys and like the halloween costumes the kids coming to school as freddy i was like oh yeah wait wait what even as a kid i was like he wasn't (laughs) <laughs> no i had a freddy costume i totally wore it to school <laughs> uh one of the one of the first things i bought i don't have it now because it was just a cheap like uh spirit halloween version i had a freddy glove for years that i bought as a teenager i did as well i bought one because i used to work at kmart when i was in high school nice and so during the halloween stuff i they had a freddy glove it's like super cheap like the blades are bendable plastic like mm-hmm. cheap as hell but i always kept it because then i said if i ever meet robert england i want him to sign it and sure enough it sits on my video shelf now with a robert england signature on it nice so nice. i made the dream come true <laughs> so i could have <laughs> bought a much better one because the conventions they were selling them like crazy and they were like made out of real metal and stuff but mm-hmm doesn't matter i gotta get this one signed i said i was gonna do it when i was like 16 i'm gonna make it happen that's cool that you did i mine actually broke so i just had to get rid of it because again that cheap plastic it had the i don't know if yours had but it was like that shiny coating on the blades to make it look so when it started to chip i was like okay that looks kind of cool no mine was just gray plastic and then one of them broke off and I was like, well, I can't have a three razor and Freddy glove. That just looks stupid. <laughs> so it went the way most spirit Halloween stuff from back then did right into the garbage. <laughs> so somebody probably found it and did their own thing with it now. And it's in some somebody's house doing some weird shit. I don't know. <laughs> there, there are some really intricately made gloves out there, though replicas for Freddy's glove I've seen. Oh online. yeah, like people put in some real quality craftsmanship. Oh yeah, yeah. The convention I went to, they had a, a booth selling them because, of course, you would if Robert England was there and he was doing pictures with everybody. Of course, you're going to sell right know, as close to an authentic Freddy glove as you can. So, I mean, people were just walking around with them and they were amazing. I was like, ah, damn it. Kind of want one, but I have to get this shitty one signed. I said I was going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you could always get the, the better one later, but you got that one signed. Nobody else has one signed like that. So, you probably are the only one. Eh, I'm sure so, somebody does, but yeah. Maybe, but. Yeah, I've always wanted to get me a a good quality one. I recently got Leanne a replica. Now it's not like a a prop replica, but it's a, a Hellraiser puzzle box oh, nice. configuration. Yep. I have one of those, but it's just a uh, 
It's just a solid block of wood with the stickers on each side. Yeah, this yeah. one I got her. I got her. It's like a heavier, like plastic or wood, maybe, but it comes apart, and then you can turn it into like the star configuration. Oh, I'm jealous. So. I think I bought this one off eBay, pretty cheap. And then hey. uh, I took it and had a bunch of Cenobites sign it, so it's all good. Oh, nice. Yeah, I got that for her because she's a huge Hellraiser fan. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. okay, I get if I can get myself at least one thing, it's gonna be a Freddy glove. And actually, if I get nice. two, because Friday the 13th is technically my favorite slasher mm. franchise. So I wouldn't mind getting like a hockey mask that looks like it was in one of the films, probably like part seven if I could. But, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I got one of those. Mask and a glove. I got one of those, too. Also bought at a convention. It's maybe a little whiter, like I would like some more grime on it. Bought it, and then I've been having Jason's sign it ever since. So, nice. I have, uh, I have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Jasons have signed it so far. Damn. So, there's only a couple more I need, and I think one of them died, unfortunately. Yeah, that was, uh, was it Richard Brooker? Yeah, I believe. I think, yeah. I think that's the one I'm missing. I'll never be able to get again. Yeah, but you have uh Ted White though. Yes. Yeah, okay. Ted White. Yeah, because I know he just he went not too long ago mm-hmm. as well. So yeah. Yeah, so then Brooker is the only other one I believe that has passed. Yeah, so I got um see I got Ted White, I got CJ Graham from part six, uh I got Warrington Gillette from part two. He's one of a couple of people that play Jason in that movie. Right. I got Kane Hodder, of course. And of course he had to sign it right in the middle. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> uh, I got Ari Lehman, even though he never wore the mask. Uh, right. I got uh, Tom Morga. He played him in four, five, maybe. I don't know. I can't see it from here. Most of them put which Jason they were like underneath of it. Yeah. I think Morga was uh, five. And then uh, Derek Mears, which was the most terrifying one that I had signed. If, I don't know if you've ever seen Jason Mears like out of costume. He's he's a very large and muscular man. I have I have not seen him in person, but I have seen video of him standing next to people, and yeah. I'm like, I would I would shit myself. He looks intimidating. Yeah, because uh, you know they were the remake was getting ready to come out, so he was at the convention. And I was not excited by the idea of a remake. I'm just like, really have to remake everything. Uh, but then I went to some panel where he was talking and he was talking about how much of a fan of Jason he was that he actually lobbied to get the part. Like he heard they were making it and he went in and was like, no, I want, I, I want to be Jason. I should be Jason told them why, like went over like how much he loves the character and like all this stuff. So he was a super hardcore, like Friday 13th fan. So listen to him talk about it and how he tried to do what he could in the movie to make, you know, to make Jason awesome. Completely turned me around on it. I was like, okay, well, I'm I'm willing to give it a shot now. I wasn't before, but and then the next day I went to his table to get my mask signed and I told him, I'm like, so I was not looking forward to this remake whatsoever. Mm-hmm. He just had this look on his face like, oh shit. He might leap across the table and choke me in a second. 
Like I was terrified for like a good three seconds. Right. And then I was like, but after listening to your, your panel yesterday, I'm completely turned around. I can't wait to see it. I just love that you're a big fan. And then he turned into one of the nicest people, but I think he thought I was going to give him a bunch of shit, but I'm just like, no, 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 that's not it at all. And then I asked him to sign the mask and he really was worried about where he was going to sign it. He's like, I'm always terrified. I'm going to, you know, mess people's shit up. And I'm like, oh no, no, it's fine. Just pick wherever and sign your name. It's like, look, as long as you're not signing over somebody else, you're good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, oh, you got like, you know, other people have signed it already. I feel like I'm going to mess it up. I'm like, you're good. You're good. You're one of the many Jasons. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. So I had to talk him down. It was the weirdest situation. <laughs> did Ari Lehman write first Jason on there when he signed uh, of it? Of course he did. Of course. Because, I mean, that man cannot let anyone forget he was the first Jason. I mean, his band is even first Jason. <laughs> Uh, well, I guess it doesn't actually say that. It says Jason is watching and then his signature and then underneath of it, Jason, uh, yeah, Jason one is what he put. Okay. So he didn't put first Jason. It's, it's think, a variation. Yeah. But I think then everybody took the cue from him and started listing which Jason they were underneath there. So. Nice. Which is kind of smart because then you don't have to worry about uh, trying to remember. Yeah. But I've seen Crystal Lake memories so many times that I can almost tell you who was who was Jason in every one of the films. <laughs> Except yeah. for when Warrington Gillette shows up. That's where I'm like, well, was he really in this part or was he in this one? I can't really tell where it's him and where it's not. Yeah. But that's a huge thing anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, apparently there's a lot of uh, controversy about that. Yeah. But I, I will say Derek Mears, uh, for me, was one of the more intimidating Jasons on film. Oh, yeah. Was the fact that he moved so quick and was just relentless. Yeah, I mean, stocky Jason's good from Kane Hodder, but a Jason that comes charging at you through the woods, like that's that'll make me shit my pants real quick. Yeah. Like when he's running and getting ready to throw that axe at the dude, I'm just like, holy shit. <laughs> like. Dang, like I've enjoyed every other version of Jason's, like the slow stalker or like some of the faster moving ones in the earlier films. Mm-hmm. For some reason, there was just a ferocity to Derek Mears. Yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah. he made yeah. him scary again, which was nice. Yeah. This, I mean, despite how you feel overall about the remake, he was the best part. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed the remake. I feel like if you took couple small pieces of it out you could just say that oh this is a sequel it takes place between this one and this one yeah you'd be like oh okay i went to see it in the theater i loved it and then i started thinking about it and i was like well wait do i really care for it and then i watched it later and i was like yeah i actually really do like this and now i'm like it's right up in there with the rest of them i mean it's way better than takes manhattan but yeah agreed I don't like puppet Jason, uh, Muppet Jason. (laughs) That's so terrible. So all these, all these dream powers don't really do much for any of them. Really? No, the the wizard master seems to get close at first. Then it turns out, uh, Freddie was just baiting him in. Yeah. He doesn't believe in fairy tales. No. Uh, I mean, Kristen gives him a couple kicks or something. Yeah, a couple of kicks. 
And then uh, Kincaid doesn't even really get to do anything. He hits him with a pipe. Yeah. Freddy, Freddy just grabs him and zaps all of his power. So this is like, eh, away with you. Yeah. Joey um, only screams. That's all he does. He's ineffective after that. Yeah. Seems like the only people that actually hurt him are uh, John Saxon and uh, what's his face? Craig Wasson. Yeah. Or his characters. Because they're tasked with finding where his bones are, burying them in consecrated ground. That whole scene where they're confronting him in the bar, and he's like, oh, hey, Nitz, hey, baby, how are you? He's <laughs> just completely shit-faced. <laughs> and then, who is it? Uh, Dr. Gordon tells Nancy, oh, I'll catch up with you. I'm going to stay here and figure out. Then he just brutally assaults John <laughs> Saxon, like, you're going to tell me where it is? Like, dude. I know you he, need to know where it's at, but wow. He used to be a police officer. I don't know if he should be throwing him around like that. Yeah. <laughs> also, did you know he fought with Bruce Lee in that shit? Have you seen Enter the Dragon? Right? <laughs> this man is up. not to be trifled with, sir. Which apparently he was really a martial artist in real life, too, which I was impressed by. Yeah, that's what I heard later. And I was like, oh, all right. Because I... I've always loved Enter the Dragon. I saw it as a kid, and then I bought the VHS back in the day, and then I upgraded to Blu-ray, of course. I've always loved it. So John Saxon has always been like a part of my life in some way. Mm-hmm. So to finding out, he's like, oh, yeah, I really knew that. You're like, oh, well, oh, okay, shit. then. You really yeah. are a badass. All right. He's one of those like dad martial artists where he looks like a dad, but <laughs> if you try to fuck with him, he would suddenly like doesn't even seem like he'd move and somehow you've been thrown across the room or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm more afraid. I've always been more afraid of John Saxon's martial arts than Chuck Norris's martial arts. <laughs> you don't want to get kicked in the stomach. Like, eh. seems like it seems like that's what Chuck Norris did a lot. It's just kick people in the stomach. I don't want to get Walker, Texas Rangered. <laughs> <laughs> but then of course I had, I, I'm slightly more afraid of Chuck Norris's martial arts than Steven Seagal's. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to slap you. I'm going to slap you. Steven Seagal will just kidnap you and force you into <laughs> sex slavery, apparently. Jesus Christ. That guy's got some fucking issues, man. <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot of issues. <laughs> Holy hell. I'm I'm loving this conversation because we are going off the rails and coming right back. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> we're all over the place. People are like, this is supposed to be about Freddy, right? Oh, yeah, hey, we're, we're still talking about Freddy. It's Dream Warriors. <laughs> go, go watch it. You'll understand. <laughs> what do you think of the stop motion Freddy skeleton? Uh, I mean, look, it's not great. But for 1980... Whenever this movie came out, 80 was 87, 87. Yes. Uh, I mean, look, they did, they did as good of a job as they possibly could. So it looks like he's just in front of a projection screen. Like Craig Wasson is like choreograph himself with, uh, this stop motion, uh, ready. So, I mean, they did what they could. It's all right. Yeah. That's, that's the one scene where it's like, you can see how it was all put together. Yeah. The uh, stop motion on uh, the Freddy Snake was better. Yeah, definitely was. Yeah, I don't know if it's two separate teams or what, but one did significantly better than the other. Yeah, and I remember seeing some of the sketches again. I referenced back because it's the best 
reference material to go to uh, Never yeah. Sleep Again. Worse. They were showing some of the sketches that they had done for this, and some of them actually looked more like Freddy. It wasn't just a burned up skeleton. Like some still had like muscle to like kind of look like his face. And I'm like, that would have been really creepy to see. Yeah. But of course, would you have been able to pull it off the right way? Yeah, probably not. Yeah. It's probably it's probably a good idea just to go with the skeleton. But it I now here's where, where I was talking earlier about it's it's kind of like the hammer horror films like Van Helsing would always put up the cross to kind of help in a way mm. to back Dracula down. There was always like some sort of Christian overtone in a way, like religious thing happening and kind of the same thing happening here when they quote unquote defeat Freddie by burying him in consecrated ground and spraying the whole uh, splashing the holy water on the mm. skeleton. Yeah. And we see the cross form on Freddy's head as he's spiraling and all the beams of light shooting out of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was interesting. It's visually very cool. Like uh, beams of light and stuff were done really well. Yeah, it was crazy. The rotoscoping was good. Like it doesn't look, it looks like something that should be there. Like, okay, I can see why this would be a way to defeat Freddy, even mm -hmm. if temporarily. Yeah. Yeah, it adds the really interesting story beat that uh, his mother was a nun. Mm -hmm. And then we'll find out in part five that he's uh, the bastard son of a hundred maniacs or a thousand maniacs or whatever the. Yeah. Bastard son of a hundred maniacs. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, we get a little implication that here where she was locked in a room with a bunch of crazy people and then they found her later and she was pregnant. They don't give too much away they just give a hint of what happened yeah so yeah it's an interesting it's interesting to look at all the movies that come after this movie because a lot of the plot points they come up with sort of start with this movie like uh, West, weston hills will end up playing like a role in multiple sequels mm -hmm. um including the freddy versus jason movie uh, the Amanda Kruger stuff plays a bigger part in part five. Um, uh, the idea of, I guess, dream powers then gets even more like they use that some more in like part four. So they do find a lot of yeah. interesting stuff in the, ch the chest of souls comes back in part four. So they do find a bunch of interesting stuff to carry over into the, the rest of the movies that come after this. Yeah. And, even the defeating of Freddy coming from like myth or religious backgrounds, I think in four, it's like taking his power away with like a mirror, like evil looking itself in the eye. So there's, no. there's like a mythology, this like religious background, fairy tale, dark story kind of thing that started really with three. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because one and two don't really have that except in one where she goes, Oh, I turn my back on you. I take my energy back. Yeah. So I'm defeating you a different way than three. Yeah. That's much more really. of like a sort of like a philosophical approach to it. Mm -hmm. Like the energy you give something is what sort of makes it have power over you. So if you take it away, then, you know, you're free from that and stuff. So, which is not a big surprise considering Wes Craven was like a philosophy teacher. Right. That's filmmaker and stuff. So exactly what I was exactly the point I was going to make. You beat me to it. Yeah. 
an intellectual horror director who brought us Last House on the Left as well. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, it, but it's weird because every one of his movies, you can sort of break it down in a much more philosophical way and like, right start breaking stuff down. You're like, oh, this is this is what this movie's about. You just have to look past, like, especially like Last House on the Left. You have to just have to look past the um, sort of the grimy cover on it that he's right. using to like tell this story that sort of everybody can sort of uh, uh, connect with, even if they don't think they can. If you like pull all that stuff away, and then you're like, no, this movie is, you know, about weird societal changes and blah, 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 blah. And you know, you really dig into it. You're like, oh, this is like a whole different level. I didn't even think about. Right. It was something I heard somebody say, not to give too much away, but a uh, new nightmare. Like one thing I heard somebody say was you can really look at this as like the fear of raising a child in the modern nineties. I'm like, yeah. huh, that actually does work. And then yeah. I hear Craven talk about it. He doesn't mention any of that, but I'm like, what somebody else said does work. Yeah. I'm like, there's like you see, if you dissect them, there's more under the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's always a lot more going on in his movies. Even some of the ones that you could look at as like bad ones. Like, like I kind I kind of like it, but I understand it's not great. Like Shocker, like if you start deconstructing Shocker, like there's so much more going on in it than than just what is like visible on the screen. I love Shocker, by the way. Yeah, probably my favorite one to sort of break down is usually the people under the stairs. Oh, that one definitely has a lot you can break oh, down. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot, a lot under the hood in that movie. I mean, not just like the class warfare and stuff like that. There's there's a lot. There's there's messages all over that film if you really go into it. Yeah. Like the first time I saw it, I would that's what I was picking up was everything underneath the surface of people under the stairs. I'm like, wow, this is this is deep. It's yeah. not just, oh, and of course I saw the trailer as a kid and I'm like, that looks creepy. It's way more creepy when you kind of see the underlying messages. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, how do you like how society really is? It's like, oh God. Yeah, <laughs> you don't uh you don't think you're gonna see a leather daddy in a gimp outfit running around his house blowing holes in the wall with a shotgun, but that's yeah. what you get. <laughs> that's which would have also fit in Nightmare 2. Of course. <laughs> so we all go to this they all hang out at the same bar they just don't know <laughs> what was what was the bar in police academy was it the the toolbox or something uh oh, the i blue, can't remember blue oyster the, the blue oyster yeah the blue oyster yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and off the rails again but that's what we do <laughs> So I want to ask you, because I've heard a lot of people say that um, the death of Nancy in this, spoiler for anyone who doesn't know, mm-hmm. she went out sort of like a hero. What what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, she totally does. It's still kind of a bummer. Like, they could have used her as the heroine throughout more of the series. But, I mean, I guess it is an interesting way to sort of wrap up her confrontation with Freddy. Right. Um he you know poses as her dad and then stabs her in the stomach but she's able to make one last 
sort of uh, gasp and stab him with his own glove before he's able to kill somebody else. And then the holy water and cross take effect. And yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, she gets like one last sort of like thing. And then, you know, she has a split second where she sort of makes up with her dad and Mm -hmm. sort of all that drains away. And then she's given her, her, um, sort of i guess you'd call it like heavenly reward where kristen keeps saying she's gonna dream her into somewhere fun or whatever right so she does at least get like sort of a nice send-off before she passes over yeah the she had a real profound impact on kristen in such a short time really because she knew what all these kids were going through so they were like oh you get us while the rest of them are just saying we're crazy yeah you see that we're not crazy we're being hunted down you're the only one who believes us and i mean the idea of setting it in sort of in a mental asylum or mental hospital or asylum or whatever the fuck it was called at the time Mm -hmm. uh was smart because you have all these people who are saying all this stuff and it's like yeah but i mean they're they're an asylum like who's gonna believe them and then you finally have somebody who comes in and she's like no no i believe what you're saying you can see all of them, like their shoulders just kind of like slump. They're like, oh, all this tension I've been holding up. Finally, someone believes me. I don't have to like, you know, hold all this stress in or whatever. Right. And I love her introduction into the film because she comes in and doesn't really say anything like, oh, hi, I'm Nancy Thompson or whatever. Her introduction is her reciting the nursery rhyme. The one, two, Freddy's coming for you. And yeah. Doing it like giving Kristen like I know what it is you're saying I know this rhyme, mm. and it's just like that's it's fitting for that character to just walk in and do that, as opposed to getting it say in a later scene. Yeah, yeah, it's a great way just to be like, no, no, I get it. Like, couple couple words exchanged between us, suddenly Kristen trusts her more than anybody else in that building. Yeah. And I also like, I think it speaks to Freddie's fear of Nancy. His only way of getting her is to impersonate her dad. Mm-hmm. To to lower her defenses. Yeah. Because he's the old he's the only person that she would feel safe around. Yeah. And then just guts her. Mm-hmm. Just it's like, oh. I remember the first yeah. time I saw it, I was like, oh, is he saving her? Is this the end? And then it turned. I was like, oh. Oh, yeah. I didn't expect that. Yeah, it's interesting because he basically wipes out her entire family. Um, Because the yeah. intention is he killed her mother in the first one. They do mention that they I think they mentioned in this. I didn't rewatch it before I watched this because I've watched it like a billion times. But yeah, um, I think they mentioned that she killed herself or something, or at least that's the story they tell people. Yeah, Nancy said she died in her sleep. Yeah. Um, so realistically, Freddie killed her. He his skeleton kills uh, her dad, and then Freddie kills her. And then, if you want to go with the alternate uh, history of that, all the Elm Street kids had older siblings. Uh, then you know that's the fourth family member that he killed. Because right. wasn't so, it uh, Nancy had an older brother in yeah. that part that wasn't that wasn't yeah. used. Yeah. So, I mean, he wiped out this entire family, which is just 
weirdly interesting for this franchise. Yeah, it's just single-handedly killed off a bloodline. Mm-hmm. And didn't do, well, I mean, I guess maybe, again, alternate history. The older brother is the only one he would have killed when he was human. And then right, he killed all right. the other ones afterwards. So, yeah. Right, because that was one of the killings that happened just before the, the lynch mob went out and burned him. Yeah. So yeah, it's just it's just interesting because I'm trying to think of everybody else in the movies, and I don't think he killed anybody else's parents that I can think of. No, I mean only if we get to, when you get to uh well no, that was that was Jason. Never mind, I was gonna say Freddy versus Jason, but that decapitation is Jason. That's not Freddy. Yeah, yeah. Freddy's so, too yeah. weak in the dream of the teenager. So yeah, this is the only, this is the only uh I mean the first first movie and the third one kills an entire family. Yeah. Which is just I don't know, it's just weirdly interesting to me. And see, I never I never gave it too much thought. Now I'm like, yeah, he wiped out every that's an interesting note. Huh. Yeah, because I mean I always had this uh because I was fascinated by the idea that there was that deleted scene that explained all this other stuff that mm. like 30 seconds of dialogue added this whole other layer to this, uh, to the storytelling in the first movie, because, okay, if it was included, we find out Nancy had an older brother and the older brother died. Um, and then it brings up like, Oh, this explains all this other stuff that's in the movie. So, you can sort of backtrack Nancy's parents getting a divorce to that whole thing. Um, the story is the police fucked up and didn't sign a warrant correctly or something. So that's how Freddie got oh, Freddie got out of jail, like on technicality. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm sure the mom relates that back to her dad since he's a police officer. He's like, oh, you guys fucked it up. He killed our son and you fucked it up. You couldn't even do your job right to protect your family or whatever. So then that causes definite problems in the marriage. Right. Um, you're very much on the table in that first movie. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, then they end up going to torch him. And so that causes a whole other set of problems in that marriage. Uh, yeah. and, then, and then, uh, the mom's an alcoholic, which, at first, it's just sort of like, well, she's been through a divorce, I guess. But if you really think about it, it's like, oh, no, my son was murdered. My husband, his his job fucked it all up. So he was mm-hmm. going to get away with it. So then I had to go fucking kill him, with, you know, myself. Yeah. So then that adds all these layers to why she's an alcoholic. And then and keeping then- a secret that she was part of that group from Nancy, not telling her anything about any of this Mm -hmm. oh jesus and then like why is she so protective over nancy which i mean uh crazy shit's going on so maybe that would just be there anyway but having you know nancy's brother murdered would definitely add like another layer to why she's so overprotective about stuff right why she puts the extra locks on the doors why there's the bars on the windows Mm mm-hmm all these little things she starts doing, which we, we see now is going, oh, because she's just drunk and crazy. 
yeah. it's like well no there's there's more of a reason had we got that it would have made yeah that film so much better yeah and again it's like 30 seconds of dialogue it's not like yeah. that big of a deal now i've had people tell me like ah that feels like it's too much like that would have crowded it up too much but i don't know i think it's just a fascinating part of the lore that would have added like you know a bunch more layers to all the characters and freddie himself and yeah. whatever because then suddenly it becomes very personal between nancy and freddie it's like you killed my boyfriend you killed my brother you killed my friends you killed my boyfriend uh ultimately <laughs> killed my mom mm-hmm. and then the third one killed my dad and then ultimately kills her so it just adds this very personal touch to it because like look johnny depp's parents weren't like you know um uh, i don't know freddie and johnny depp weren't like clashing or whatever and i guess there is right. as much personal stuff but he doesn't go after johnny depp's parents or anything no He's just killed maybe killed johnny depp's sibling and then now i'm going after johnny depp yeah so, nobody else's parents yeah in that first movie or any like you said any of the other sequels i can't think of it's all been yeah, it's just he, the Thompson the, family. Yeah, the Thompson family is the only one he's taken out because everyone else is just the friend group that is systematically yeah. eliminated one by one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, yeah, just that, like I said, just those couple of extra lines just add so much to the first movie. Damn, and to think where that could have led into whatever part two would have been, and then what three could have been with mm-hmm. just that thirty seconds yeah oh man to think it it would it could have been a completely different franchise yeah so then i'm curious what part three becomes at that point um right part three is still amazing so i mean maybe it just would have been the same but i feel like there's just some other nuanced layers that would have been there especially between nancy and freddie that would have uh just would have added more to throughout the franchise especially if they wouldn't have killed her off in this one yeah, if they would have kept her around, even just for one more, or maybe even the the next two, considering they did what four and five, and then Freddy's dead. Yeah, or even have her survive three and then not come back until Freddy's dead and be the one that takes it. You know, there's a whole yeah. different way that could have gone. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, just makes it interesting. Very interesting. I'm going to be thinking about this all night now. I'm not going to sleep tonight. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, okay, so if that happened, what if they went this way? But if Nancy had a brother, yeah. I'm going to start thinking about all these different ways it could go. You know, like how there were so many scripts for like Freddy versus Jason, and then there were so many scripts for other sequels after this one. Mm -hmm. I think even Peter Jackson was involved at one point in writing a nightmare film. Oh, yeah. It was my dream lover. Was the title of it? So I don't like, remember. Don't remember what it was about, but yeah, I don't remember either. You said the title. I'm like, that was the title. I'm like, why couldn't we have gotten that? That would be interesting. <laughs> and then hearing that Del Toro was someone they were looking at to direct one, I'm like, please, please, oh, yeah. get Del Toro to direct just about anything. I'll watch it. Yeah, Del Toro doing a nightmare film with all of the visuals he's already given us in many other films. Mm-hmm. 
just that fantastical dream world he would think up. Ugh. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to say you would give Nightmare 3 like a, a sort of recommend. Based on <laughs> talking Maybe you'll enjoy it. I don't know. Um, Could be the worst in the franchise. Oh, no, that's no. the remake. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, that's that's the movie that should not be named. Uh, but no, yeah, yeah. Third one for me is definitely top of my list swaps between number one and number two on a daily basis mm. so i just love everything about it i got to see it at a drive-in back in october oh man it was great see there's no drive-ins around here there was one i knew of about 15 years ago but i they weren't playing horror movies at the time it was like middle of summer so it was some like animated film i think it was like over the hedge and something else so i wasn't really paying attention yeah, there's this one in Indiana that uh, every year does like a two day like horror marathon. So I went to uh, this one and they showed yeah Nightmare on Elm Street three was one of them. I was super excited to see it on the big screen. Man, I'm I'm envious. That sounds like a good time. It was a good time. It was great. Yeah, because the only the only film in the Nightmare franchise I've seen in the theater was Freddy versus Jason. Nice. Yeah. I, remember, I didn't even drive at the time. I asked my dad, I said, can you drop me off at the theater and pick me up when I call you? <laughs> like, you're going alone? I was like, yes. Yeah. I don't have friends who want to watch this, but I need to see this movie. Yeah, I saw that one in the theater, uh, which I saw it in Crystal Lake, Illinois, by the way. Oh, um, nice. I, I, used to live, I used to live up by Crystal Lake for a while. So I saw that and Jason X. Uh, my friend of mine who loves the Freddy and Jason movies drove up for both of them and we went and saw it at the Crystal Lake theater. That's cool. Um, so I saw, yeah, I saw, uh, Freddy versus Jason. I saw, uh, the remake that should not be named. And then years ago, another different drive-in that's, you know, within an hour and a half driving was showing the original nightmare on Elm street. So I went and saw that. And, And then, of course, part three. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I I saw the film that shall not be named in the theater as well. And uh, at the time, I was like, "Eh, okay. And then the more I see it, I own it because that completionist part of my brain. Yeah, I got got the box set. So, yeah, I have this uh, Blu-ray set that is through. It's up through Freddy's Dead. Mm-hmm. And then Freddy versus Jason, I own on DVD because I got it from Blockbuster when they were closing. And then I bought the remake Blu-ray because it was like five bucks. <laughs> yeah. Not too long after it came out, it was price slashed at Target very low. Yeah, one of my yeah. biggest, and I, I don't know, one of my biggest problems with the remake is they chickened out. They yeah they they start to go with like oh, but maybe Freddy was innocent. And I'm just like, oh, well, that's kind of an interesting twist on this. I mean, he's innocent. That would explain the revenge part of it. Exactly. So they won't. Yeah. But then no, we have to. No, no. He's actually bad. He did bad stuff to children. I'm like, oh, you cowards. Chicken out. The whole movie was leading you to believe that he could possibly be innocent. And then at the last second, they're like, but he's not. Yeah. I was like, 
I at least would have given it that, but the movie was not good anyway. No, I, and I don't, I don't think Jack Earl Haley was bad in his performance. I think he was just given shit to work with. Yeah. Like had the film been better, we might've gotten more, Mm -hmm. but yeah, no, his take on Freddie was interesting. The CG was terrible. Um, I mean, the script is not super great. I mean, it is a remake, so fine, but uh, the micro-naps stuff bugged me. That's stupid. Yeah. Um, And I've heard people say, yeah, but that's a real thing. And I'm like, yeah, but doesn't mean we have to actually use it. I don't need reality in my Dream Demon movie. Exactly. So, yeah. And that, the the recreation of the the scene from the first movie where Freddy's pushing down through the wall... Mm-hmm. And they terrible. did it all in terrible CG that looked like it was rendered in five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you do better stuff on your phone nowadays. I was like, it was no better quality than the Freddy worm and Freddy versus Jason, the Freddy caterpillar. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, that was 2003, 2002 when it was made. So mm-hmm. you had eight years and you still screwed it up that bad. Yeah. Not good. No, no. And I'm not covering it in this series, so we can crap on it all we want. <laughs> Fuck that movie. This franchise ends at Freddy versus Jason. That's that's the definitive hard line I'm taking. That's the hard stance. <laughs> Controversial. <laughs> there's there's probably some people out there who are like, well, I found the remake better than the original. And to that I say, well, you must not have any taste. <laughs> No, I don't, I don't want to be that person who's like crap it on me. Some people are going to like it fine. Like what you like. I I don't care for it. It was it was bad. Yeah, not good. I'll stick with my original franchise. Mm-hmm. It's probably the safer bet. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so you mentioned I'm curious, which uh which box set do you own? Do you own the the like black and I think it was like black and gold DVD box uh. set or well, I own that one, the DVD one. Okay. And then uh, I did buy it on Blu-ray, but now that I've said that I do own it because I have a box set, I'm beginning to wonder, it's probably not in there. If it's not around you, don't worry about it. I was just curious. No, I got it here. Uh, yeah, all original, all seven original Nightmare films. So I don't own it. Yay! <laughs> yeah, I don't have to worry about that evil remake spoiling my physical media collection nice i i on the other hand have it so it is it has tainted my collection but there's enough other good stuff in here yeah so the uh the west craven's new nightmares the last freddy one i own and then i own the big friday 13th box set from shout factory which has freddy versus jason in it i i also own that one as well (laughs) So I do have Freddy versus Jason on Blu-ray, technically in the box set, but the first mm-hmm. copy I had was the DVD. Oh. I also have it on DVD because I got Zach Ward to sign it, the older brother that appears in the bathtub in the dream. Nice. Scott Farkas. Scott Farkas. <laughs> yep. So I had him sign that one, so then I couldn't get rid of it. I'm like, I'm going to have to keep it. I'm going to have to have multiple copies of it. I mean... Might as well. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, I own a lot worse things on DVD. I might as well just keep that one around. 
Yeah, my DVD copy of Freddy vs. Jason doesn't even have artwork. It just has the white, uh, you know, the shitty things that they would do at Blockbuster where they just print out whatever it was and then stick the white piece of paper in there. Oh, yeah. That's what it is. I have no artwork for the DVD. Oh. So I can I can spot it from here just looking. I'm like, oh, yeah, there it is right there. You live in the future, baby. You should just print <laughs> your own cover for it. I know. I've thought about it. I have photo paper and everything. I could probably find the file online with no issue and print it. Yeah. But it's been that way for so long now. I'm like, it's kind of kind of its own character. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I kind of would like to see a big box set done like the Friday one for Nightmare, oh, yeah. but be the only thing we have was that DVD box set that you had, which that was the first one I had. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up selling it. Because at one point I was like, oh, I don't need this anymore. I'll upgrade later to a new one when they release it. Which yeah. pretty much, like I said, I have just one. It's like the slim case, but it's got all the movies in it. Yeah. So it's like the one Blu-ray case. But yeah, if they could do the big Scream Factory, Shout Factory version, I'd I'd buy it. Nice. I also have, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. One. Oh, no, it's three. One, two. Okay, so it's just three. I also have three episodes of Freddy's Nightmares. Nice. On official VHS. Found them at some, like, uh, used movie store. I was like, oh, I'm buying those. I don't know if you heard that, but my jaw literally hit the floor when you said on VHS. <laughs> of course. Because those are hard to find. I've only found them, I think, on Tubi recently. Yeah, yeah. It's all digital now, but yeah. They originally uh released some of the episodes of VHS. That's insane. And all I remember from that series was the inner cuts of Freddy doing his thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember it being on at like one or two in the morning when I was growing up. It wasn't on like during the day, like some markets got, which is why it got pulled so quick, like in the Bible belt. <laughs> but I remember one or two in the morning, I'm a young kid turning on my TV thinking I'm going to sneak some TV because it's late and I got one in my room and seeing that and then being too terrified to go to sleep. And then when I did fall asleep, just having Freddy nightmares the entire night until I had to go to school the next morning. <laughs> nice. But, yeah. yeah. Wasn't the first episode, the pilot of Freddy's Nightmares, the the like court case? Uh, yep. And that's one of the ones I have on VHS called No More nice. Mr. Nice Guy. And it's sort of the uh, what happened that he got off. And it's directed by Toby Hooper, Texas Chainsaw fame. Nice. Nice. Um, bu- 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 bu. Then the next one's called Dreams That Kill. So like this one has to deal with some like talk show, but Freddie's involved with sure. Hmm, okay. Uh, and the third one, which you'll find interesting because I know uh, how big of a fan you are of a Mr. Tony Wash's movie. It's titled <laughs> it's my party and you'll die. If I want you to <laughs> nice, very nice. It has something to do with a psychic hotline. So, huh? Interesting. The only ones I know of are the one where Lori Petty gets decapitated. Mm-hmm. 
And then there's the one where the the kid, the guy is working in the drive through and his girlfriend is Lar Park Lincoln from Friday, the 13th, part seven. Yeah. Yep. There's, uh, uh, there's an episode of Brad Pitt where he's working at a, like a fast food place and he gets shot or something or he's, oh no, he's hitchhiking or something. I don't know. Brad yeah, Pitt's remember, in it. That's all that matters. I remember re- I, I did watch more of uh, Never Sleep Again earlier today. So I got to that part. They're like, Brad Pitt was in an episode. I was like, oh, that's right. Yeah. I've never seen it, but I know he's, he started there. Yeah. Show's not super great. It's kind of fun to rewatch though. The, oh, yeah, ones that, the ones that Freddie's actually involved with the story are usually pretty good. Uh, but the ones where he's just hosting and then it's some weird like story that has nothing to do with him. Just some citizen of Springwood having something weird happen to him. Yeah. It's... Those are usually the less, less, less good ones. Yeah. Well, the philosophy was from Bob Shea was like, anyone could direct one. Anyone could write one. Anyone could be in one. I'm like, oh. That's not that's not a good full that's not a good stance to have when you're trying to create a TV show. Mm-hmm. It is funny that of the two, Friday the thirteenth the series was the more successful one. Yeah. And it's always bummed me the, out bummed me out that it never had anything to do with the movies though. Yeah, which was I always found weird. I was like, oh, there's a series, and then I'd watch it and I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Is this supposed to be about Jason? <laughs> Wasn't until many years later I found out no, it was just an anthology series that had yeah. nothing to do. Yeah, they're just trying to cash in on the IP. There yeah. was rumors for a long time that uh, the final item was going to be Jason's hockey mask, but that turned out to be uh, that was debunked at some point. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. Then hearing that it was debunked, I'm like, oh, well, that would have been kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, I guess Friday the 13th also is in the Evil Dead universe, considering what the Kandarian dagger <laughs> is what kills Jason and Jason goes yeah. to hell. <laughs> uh, which I would highly recommend reading the first uh, Freddy versus Jason versus Ash comics. I've been trying to get my hands on one for years. Yep, they're out of print, so they're hard to find. Yeah, the ones I have seen, I cannot justify paying that kind of money. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. The first one was they did a follow-up sequel, uh, which was terrible. But that's that's a shame. The first one's really good. It's uh Ash going to Crystal Lake or what do they fucking call it? Bowling Green or whatever. Whatever the name that they were changing Crystal Lake to, and I think it was part six. Camp Forest Green. Yeah, that's it. Because six, uh, six and seven kind of fluctuate as my two favorite <laughs> franchise, so I'll tell you whatever you need to know. He uh, he was going to help set up the new S Mart that was going to be in that town, and meanwhile, he had heard that the Necronomicon might be in the area, which then leads connects it to um, Jason goes to hell. Okay, and then he finds a way to uh, sort of combine everything. And we find out that uh, Freddy, after the events of Freddy versus Jason, has been he's been stuck in Jason's subconscious, like he can't get out. But he uh. finds he's able to somewhat control Jason from inside. He's able to suggest things, and after finding out about the Necronomicon, he finds that um, there's like spells in it that may be able to not only get him out of Jason's head but bring him back into the real world, but with all of his dream powers. 
Really? Huh? Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's all very. It's, it was all really good. And then Ash thinks Jason's a deadite, so they have some uh, some nice showdowns. Okay, that explains why I've heard a lot of people go, well, no, Jason's a deadite. They said it in this. I'm like, okay, now it makes more sense because Ash is the one who's like, he's got to be a deadite. That makes sense. Yeah. So I don't know. I I like. There's many descriptions of Jason. Deadite makes more sense to me than zombie. Oh yeah, no. So I'm like, he's not really a zombie. Now, I always thought of more of as like a revenant, like sort of a trap spirit that keeps coming back in physical form. Yeah. Which yeah. does make sense with Jason Goes to Hell since there's the whole body swapping. Mm. But then, yeah. what do they call it? Uh, homoerotic shaving? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that that is an entirely different franchise that only came together one time, sadly. <laughs> Unless you count the comics, like you said, on film only one time. Yeah. So I think uh, I think both of us are saying we sh- you should watch Nightmare Three. That's exactly what we're saying with these <laughs> rambling tangents that seem to spin off into their own weird separate podcasts. So hey, you're getting like twelve podcasts in one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, for the price of one, you're getting all this extra stuff. Exactly. It's free, so enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) So, Brian, I do have one other thing here. Okay. Leanne's not on the show, but she's she's here and in spirit. She put together a 15 question quiz, a horror quiz for us to do if you're uh if you're down to partake. Let's do it. All right. Nobody ever wants to play horror trivia with me, so I got to take what I can. Now, I have not read these questions ahead of time, so I am seeing them for the first time with you. I do not know the answers. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share the screen with you so you can see them. Okay. You see that there? Oh, wait. I didn't hit share. Never mind. Can you see that? Yes. Okay, cool. So we have, as you can see, as I scroll, we have 15 questions that you can just write down your answers, however, and then once we both say we're done, I will have her send me the answers and we can go through and see who did better. I'm almost assuredly going to do worse than you on this. Oh, I don't know about that. We'll see. finished and i have requested the answers all right so we'll see what happens (laughs) i can't believe i got stumped as quickly as the third one i was like i should know this i actually wasn't i'm not sure i was correct on mine so on that one so i'm not sure either i'm like i know what area oh and now i'm i think i i might have had it okay so now, so question number one. 
Okay. We have horror can show up in unexpected places like the pink elephant sequence from this 1942 Disney film. I put down my answer as Dumbo. What do you have, sir? I also put down Dumbo. All right. So that is one for each of us there. So question two, we have in Halloween 1978, what is the name of the little boy Laurie Strode babysits? Uh, what do you have down for your answer there, Brian? Uh, that is Tommy Doyle. I also have Tommy Doyle. Nice. Played very well by one Mr. Paul Rudd. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, later on, not in 1978. Yeah. All right. So question number three, Dawn of the Dead 2004 takes place in what U.S. state? Mm-hmm. So I put down Pennsylvania because immediately I didn't read 2004. I was thinking of the original. Uh, I also put down Pennsylvania. All right. Well, at least we both missed that one. We both were thinking, where's Romero from? Where did he film? And I missed the key 2004, but I wouldn't have even known with that, that it was Wisconsin. Cause I forgot that part. Oh yeah. I didn't wait They get on a boat at the end. Well, I guess Wisconsin's on the border of, uh, I Lake guess like Michigan, one of the lakes. Yeah, that's. I was like, eh. all right. So, question four: mm-hmm. In Children of the Corn, nineteen eighty four, how do Bert and Vicky destroy he who walks behind the roads? What was your answer for that one? Uh, I put fire. That's exactly what I put. The answer we got is they burn the cornfield. Yeah. I'm willing to give that to us because fire burning. Yeah. It's all good. I had, fi- I had fire question marks. It's been a while since I've seen that one. <laughs> All right. Question five. Julia mm-hmm. Louis-Dreyfus made her film debut in what 1986 horror fantasy film? Mm-hmm. I wrote down Troll. As did I. And that is the correct answer. That one, I was like, I know that one. I knew that off the top of my head. I was like, oh. I... I, I really like Troll. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so question six. In The Hills Have Eyes, 1977, which one of the following planets is not also the name of a character? Jupiter, mm-hmm. Mercury, or Saturn? What did you have down for that one? I put Mercury, but I was really going back and forth between Mercury and Saturn. As was I, I put Mercury as well, and the answer is Saturn. Uh... I originally wrote out Saturn. And I decided to change it. See, I was like Saturn. I'm like, that seems too obvious. It's got to be Mercury. So I went with Mercury. <laughs> nope. So question seven. What famous inventor owned the film studio that produced the first screen adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein in 1910? That would be Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison. And that is the correct answer. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that by any chance? No, I have not. I have. I think it was on uh, HBO Max or one of those. I saw it. I was, it's very short. But the look of Frankenstein's monster in that is very, very creepy. Hmm. Completely different than what we got with Karloff in the Universal film. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. But for some reason, never saw that one. Should watch it at some point. Yeah, I'd say if you have, if you have time and can find it, check it out. It's it's very short. I think it's only like a couple of minutes. 
Mm-hmm. So it's it's very easy to watch and be like, oh, okay, I've seen it now. Mm-hmm. All right, question eight. Horror can show up in unexpected places, like when Judge Doom finally gets his comeuppance in this 1988 comedy. I have, I mean, who framed Roger Rabbit? Of course, right? Yeah. And that is a correct answer there for both of us. Judge Doom is terrible. Terrifying. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The eyes bulging out and Christopher Lloyd is. Mm -hmm. So question number nine, and fittingly, we've already talked about this. So if we if either one of us missed it, I would just have to end this podcast right now. Who is the only other actor besides Robert Englund to have played the role of Freddy Krueger? Uh, Jackie Earl Haley, but I have to dispute this question. Ah, okay. Uh, we do see Freddy Krueger as a young child in part six, and then as a young man at some point, right? When Alice Cooper is his uncle, and then another piece of information at the end of of, uh, Jason Goes to Hell when the glove comes up and pulls the mask down. Mm-hmm. It's actually Keen Hodder wearing the glove and the sweater. So technically, there that would make it three other actors, right? Yeah, yeah, three other actors. After see, slash cards did us wrong. If Bunch they would have jerks. phrased the if they would have phrased the question differently, yeah, they would have said who was the only one to play the role of Freddy after being resurrected in the burn makeup, then technically but yeah you're right this question we could we could throw this one out even though we both got it right technically for what they're asking it cancels each other out yeah yeah all right so question number 10 Mm -hmm. and john carpenter's christine from 1983 what make and model of car is christine no i'm not sure of the year i may have the year wrong but i wrote down 67 plymouth fury I think you're right on the year. I'm not sure, but they just have a Plymouth Fury. Oh, okay. And it took me a second because I was writing down Plymouth and I went, oh, crap. I just forgot the make of the car. Like, <laughs> I forgot the model. I forgot the model. What was it? And then my head just goes, Fury. It's like, oh. It's like, I should never miss that one. <laughs> it's a Carpenter film. How could I forget? Should know better. And here we have question number 11, which I've never seen this film, so I have no idea. Me neither. What, what happened to director Pierre Paolo Pasolini shortly after he completed his film Solo or the 120 Days of Sodom from 1975? Mm-hmm. So what did you have down, Brian? I put that he was shot. I put down that he died in a car crash. I'm going to give it to you because the answer I have here is he got murdered. Well, oh, okay. So you got you got a point for that one. <laughs> All right, question number 12. The Annabelle doll from The Conjuring 2013 was based on the actual case of a purportedly haunted doll the Warrens kept locked in a display case in their paranormal museum. What brand of doll is the real Annabelle? I put down Raggedy Ann. That is what I put as well. And that is another correct answer for the both of us. All right, so question number 13. What prop from another 1980s horror franchise can be seen hanging on the wall of the tool shed in Evil Dead 2, 1987? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we all know what it is, right? <laughs> it's Freddy's glove. It's Freddy's glove. Yeah, Wes Craven and Sam Raimi had a weird, like, uh, fun rivalry for a while. 
Yeah, because in Nightmare there was she was watching Evil Dead on the TV. Well, uh, right. So it started with Wes Craven in The Hills Have Eyes, the original one. He apparently had like a torn like Jaws poster. Uh huh. With the the idea being like, oh, everybody thought that movie was scary. This, that movie's not scary. Look, we have the our movie's way scarier. And so then uh, when they made Evil Dead, apparently in the basement scene, there is a ripped up poster of The Hills Have Eyes. Sort of Sam Raimi going, oh, yeah, well, you think yours is so scary. <laughs> so then uh, then in Nightmare on Elm Street, she's watching The Evil Dead. And then for Evil Dead 2, they put Freddy's glove up on the wall just to kind of go back and forth. That's 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 a fun that's a fun little little rivalry to have just like oh okay yeah. i see what you did yeah <laughs> all right so we're getting near the end here question number 14 horror can show up in unexpected places like gamork the wolf from this 1984 fantasy film what have you got brian uh never-ending story also what i put the answer is the never-ending story of course yes. All right, final question. How many people does Freddy Krueger kill in A Nightmare on Elm Street 3? I put down five. I also put down five. And we would both be wrong by one because it's actually six. Doesn't seem right. It doesn't because I was trying to run them all. Like, Philip, Jennifer, Taryn dies. Oh, Will. I forgot Will. The Wizard Master. Oh, you know who I forgot? I forgot uh I forgot John Saxon. Yeah. I had everybody else. I'm like, who that's all of them. And then when you said Will, I went, Oh, I forgot. Because I had Will, I forgot John Saxon. Yeah. Yep, that's the the skeleton kill. All right, so I'm gonna tally up real quick. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, Brian. The final scores are I had 11 correct. You walk away with this one with 12 correct. I do not have a prize for you, but congratulations anyway. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) That's pretty fun. I don't get to play this. I don't get to do horror trivia because Leanne is not someone who retains a lot of that knowledge. Yeah. Like I tend to do since I was a kid. Yeah. I have the horror version of Trio Pursuit. Nobody will ever play me. So. I've always wanted to get that one. I see it everywhere. Yeah, it's a sad, uh, it's a sad state. I'm like, come on, guys, horror trivial pursuit. Everybody's like, oh fuck no. I'm like, come on, <laughs> we don't want to play with you. You know right? everything. It's like, no, I don't know everything. You're bound to stump me at some point. Mm-hmm. I've had Leanne ask me questions from slash cards, and I'm like, see, I don't know that. And she's like, yeah, it's one of like a hundred you might not know. Like, it's like it's no fun because you'll get the answers like i don't know everything it's hard to know everything but yeah i'm in i'm in the same boat as you so yeah i know i know a little bit of of most stuff i don't know everything yeah that's <laughs> just i've just retained so much from watching all sorts of dvd and blu-ray extra features over the years and reading you know crystal lake memories book and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so this yeah. this 
this was a lot of fun, Brian. I got to thank you for coming on. Well, thanks for inviting me. It was a lot of fun. Of course. Like I said, anytime you got an open door to come back. But in the meantime, Brian, why don't you go ahead and plug away all the stuff you got going on oh. so people know where else to find you? Uh, you can come listen to me on the Midnight Drive-In. We uh, usually take two movies and team them up. The more tenuous the uh, connection between the movies, usually the fun, more fun it is. Um, we try to find the weirdest connections between stuff. Yeah, once, those are pretty good at that. We once uh, covered two films just because an actor named Edgar Allan Poe the Fourth was uh was a like a extra in them. No, no idea if he's related to the Edgar Allan Poe, but with that name, I'm like, well, we gotta we gotta watch both these, right? Because yeah, sure, why not? Were those Noah picks specifically? Oh no, I'm no. trying to think. They no. may have even been from uh, from back when the show was called The Last Horror Cast, which I think it was. Oh, when you still had Scott on. Okay, yeah, we still had Scott on. But eh, whatever, still counts. <laughs> uh, still my favorite example of the most tenuous connections between stuff. Um, and then I, with my buddy Desmond Reddick, we also started up a Nicholas Cage podcast called Cage Dive, where we're Wait. looking at Nicholas Cage's filmography from the start and going forward. So nice. Two episodes nice. are out so far, so you can listen to us talk about. A weird pilot for a TV show called uh, The Best of Times and uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, where Nicolas Cage has zero lines in it. <laughs> you get to see him, at least. It's true. As as someone who does Nick Cage November over here, I can appreciate you guys doing a podcast dedicated to the glory that is Nick Cage. Yeah, it's uh, it's been fantastic so far. So. Uh, we're about to hit some of his more meteor roles. So uh, we got to Valley Girl, which was his first big starring role. Like we've we've recorded a bunch of episodes; they just haven't come out yet. But mm-hmm. we're about to uh, about to start hitting some more of when he uh, takes on more of like the lead in movies, which is going to be nice. Very cool, very cool. I'm excited to check it out. I got to start listening. I've been so behind on my podcast lately, so don't take offense to, <laughs> to that at all, please. Perfectly. <laughs> oh, and I do some writing over joeblow.com for movie stuff. So, yeah, definitely check that out. Uh, Brian's videos are some of the better of the ones that I've watched. Not not just because I'm a I'm a fan and a buddy of yours. I'm really gonna say that because I've watched several, mm-hmm. and I'm like, this doesn't seem as well put together. And then I see who wrote it. I'm like, mm, okay. And then I can definitely tell when it's when it's a Brian Wolford written video. <laughs> They're they're well, much they're much better. So Thank I appreciate you. your work over there. I've been enjoying a lot of those videos. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. So I get to write some interesting stuff. So uh with the new Evil Dead movie coming out, I wrote an article that was all about uh apartment horror movies. All horror movies that take place in an apartment. So nice, nice. I see those and when I haven't fun. seen the movie. I know I have to go back later and see it because I'm like, <laughs> I haven't seen the movie yet. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm excited to see the new Evil Dead movie, so I'm hoping. Yeah, I got lucky. I went to an early screening. Oh, that's right. I saw you post about that. It's uh, fantastic. It's a lot of fun. And see, it's, more, it's more in the tone of like the remake than it is the uh, the original Sam Raimi one. So. And see, I'm okay with that because I really did like the remake. As did I. So. 
I was like, okay, I'm not sure how I'm going to walk away from this. Cause I'm like evil dead, evil dead two and army of darkness are pretty damn near perfect for me. I mean, they <laughs> have, they have their flaws, obviously. I mean, but I love those movies unabashedly. So yeah. when the remake came in and I was like, this is fantastic. This is dark and gory and so much blood. And then we get the Easter egg at the end mm-hmm. with Ash showing up. I'm like, all right, I'm on board. Where's the sequel? <laughs> now we finally get it. And the fact that it's not in the cabin is interesting as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a line thrown out that may be a way to connect uh, the original movies, the remake in this movie all into one uh, sort of universe. So hmm. it's, it's interesting. Keep an eye out for it and keep an eye out for all kinds of Easter eggs. Cause this movie is full of them. So I'm definitely going to have my detective hat on when I check it out. <laughs> but yeah, check out everything that Brian's doing. It's midnight drive. is a great podcast. Go check out cage dive. Check out his stuff at Joe Blow. And you guys are pretty much available. The podcasts are available on pretty much every podcatcher that's out there, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, if you're listening to this show right now, just type in Midnight Drive-In on your podcatcher. You'll find it. Highly recommend you check it out, Um, especially when you get to episodes where Noah has just picked the movies because they get really strange at times because that man has no chill. (laughs) (laughs) He gives zero fucks (laughs) sometimes. He makes Doug mad, and that's enjoyable <laughs> for me to deal he with. Makes, so. He makes Doug so angry, and it's like, but you're Canadian. I thought they were all nice. No, no, <laughs> nope, no. Not Doug. <laughs> I think all the anger in Canada is inside Doug. Pretty much. Because he, he I've heard him go off a few times, and it's not like blatant, but it's just like he gets so mad. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. We all like antagonizing each other over there and making us watch uh, horrible stuff. So a lot of fun. Yeah. I always have fun listening to you guys. And while you're searching for a midnight drive-in, you can search for us. You know, if you're listening to this, you already know where to find it, but tell your friends where they can find it. All podcatchers or even up on YouTube. If they prefer that head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash skewer universe podcast, support the show, get transmissions episodes. We're going to be releasing some audio commentary tracks pretty soon over there. Nice. So you can do that helps us out. And if you want to start a podcast, we're a Podbean affiliate. Check out the link in the show notes. Get a month free with any paid premium plan. It gives us something in return, but you get to start your own podcast. You can be like us. Don't you want yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, be be like us. Don't be like waste, us. Don't waste your life. Run, <laughs> run if you can. <laughs> Hey, we, we can't all luck into shit like Joe Rogan and Spotify. Jesus Christ. 125. That's not, not to go off on something, but I've, I've re- that really bugs me about podcasting. Cause I'm like, I remember listening when it was like you and Night of the Living podcast and so few like bloody good horror starting this kind of thing. Like nobody mm-hmm. famous was doing it. And then mm-hmm. a few years later, everybody was like, oh, Adam Carolla started podcasting. Oh, Joe Rogan. These guys. I'm like, that's not where it started, man. No. Like pod, podcasting was like pirate radio of the internet days. Yeah, now it's all corporate and garbage. Yeah, which is why I try not to be too corporate. Which is, I mean, I have the affiliate thing. I got the Patreon. That's as much. This show will never. You'll never have to pay for my show, and I'm never gonna have ads on here. There's a couple of things just to help support us. That's it. Oh yeah. Other than that, but don't get me wrong. If someone wants to 
help me sell out, I will gladly do so. Oh, I'll sell out in a heartbeat. Don't be <laughs> wrong. I'm not above selling out, but I'm not just going to start having ads in the show, which is why I actually took the show off of, I think it was Spotify for a while, because they were just starting to randomly insert ads into oh. podcasts for no reason. Interesting. And I pulled my show. I put in a request and I said, until you guys either give us the creators a cut of what you're, what ads you're putting in, because you're getting revenue from that. Mm-hmm. I will not put it back on the platform. And then I saw like a few months later, they reversed their decision to do that. They stopped doing it unless you requested ads be put in. Hmm. Interesting. I was like, don't put ads in my show. If I'm not getting paid, don't promote manscaped. I got nothing for them <laughs> coming. I Kick me some of that shaving balls money. Yeah, I need some MeUndies and some Casper <laughs> mattresses. Yeah, I could I could use some of that. Kick it down my way. <laughs> okay, Brian, this this was a lot of fun, man. I appreciate it. You're welcome back anytime. I think actually we're gonna have you back on a little later this year for uh, some Del Toro. Yeah, one of my favorite directors. Same here. We we both love that man. Leanne and I both. So she will be on for for the show you're on. I will make sure of that because she loves Del Toro. Nice. All right. So again, thank you. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. As always, man. And as always, you guys keep enjoying that universe that's just a bit skewered.